Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. time of day it is you are listening to this this is americans watching the footy this is episode seven we are about to preview round two i'm ethan castle i am benjamin castle and we are once again in the same room because it is still my spring break yes we are right here um last time we tried high-fiving to prove that we're together you got any ideas for how we're going to prove this tonight i actually don't know I was thinking well now i kind of spoiled it i was thinking i could slap you and then you'd say ow but now that you know it's coming, it wouldn't be anywhere near as good. Just take our word for it. We're maybe three feet apart, at most. Sorry, all you supposed health experts. We're killing Grandma. Yeah, we are less than a COVID apart. Round two is coming up. Let's just get right on with it. I think what's interesting, you know, round one, nearly every game had a tailor-made storyline waiting for you, as round one should. I don't think that's the case at all for round two. I think of the first five rounds... On the surface, it's the least sexy group of matchups, but that shouldn't discourage you from watching. That shouldn't turn you away at all. I still think the Thursday and Friday night games are ridiculously appealing, and then the rest of them are games that, you know, you would look at and maybe not be that intrigued by on the surface, but at least a couple of them are going to end up being, like, instant classics. Like, they're not sexy on the outside, but once you get into them, you're going to get something really good out of it. Who knows which match is going to be this round's Adelaide versus Fremantle. I think a couple of these matches are probably going to end up sucking. I'm not sure which, but the odds of having around where eight out of nine matches are compelling heading into the fourth quarter is just super unlikely in any round, whether that's round one or at any point. So that was cool. I wouldn't expect it again, but I think round two, we start to get to contextualize things a little bit more. I think we start to get a glimpse of who's for real Who's a pretender? Although I think, you know, maybe around, what, round five or so, you've said, we can really start to figure that out. I think we'll start to understand some of, you know, what from round one was a fluke, what's there to be taken seriously, and where do we go from there? I think it's really hard still to say that a team is, you know, completely condemned after losing the first two games. It's not like football where that's almost always the case just because you've got six more games in an AFL season than an NFL season. So I think it's still a little premature after this round to judge any team's fate unless maybe Essendon shits the band again. Yeah, for example, as we're going to jump right into the Thursday night matchup between the Western Bulldogs and Carlton, I don't think it's all doom and gloom for the Dogs even if they start 0-2, but speaking of that, why don't you lead us into that matchup? Well, the Bulldogs... And the Blues played each of the first two nights of the season in games that were, as we said, each quite compelling. The Bulldogs lost to Melbourne after a back-and-forth affair that 
really got out of hand in the fourth quarter. Meanwhile, Carlton started off the Michael Voss era with a win over Richmond by 25 points, the first time they had beaten Richmond in any aspect since the 2013 elimination final, and the first time they'd won against them in round one in a decade. However, Michael Voss will not be coaching in this one, as he is in virus protocol, as are Adam Chera and Jack Martin. Last season, they met just once. That was at Marvel in round eight. This won't be at Marvel as well. The Bulldogs won that one by 16. I think Adam Chera is the most important of those, I think even including Michael Voss. I think a player of Chera's caliber is the most important thing that they'll be missing. But even without him, I still really like their speed. And that's going to come into focus because the Bulldogs are going to be without Bailey Smith, a surprising omission. Looks like it's a hip injury for Bazlanka. He was league leader in fantasy points. He had 154 of those in round one, fueled by his 33 disposals and 11 tackles. But on the bright side for the Bulldogs, Marcus Bontempelli is going to play. At the start of the week, it sounded very unlikely that they are going to have him. Curious, though, how they utilized Tom Libertor because they played him up front in round one. He was nearly invisible. Maybe they move him back into more of a midfield role with Smith out. Maybe they just do it anyway because it would be smart regardless. On the defensive side of things, another Bailey is out for the Dogs, Bailey Williams. He held Bailey Fritch, B-A-Wiley Fritch, as opposed to B-A-I for all the others on the Dogs. And I think throughout the league, he held Fritch at bay for really the first half and some of the third before Fritch was able to break free, so that's a notable out considering how things ended up going for the Dogs in round one. Meanwhile, Jamari Eugle Hagen will come into focus. He was the medical sub in round one, but he is in the 22 in round two. Exciting to see him get a crack at things from the get-go. And looking back toward Carlton and their injuries, perhaps Chair's absence might not hurt as much considering Somehow Sam Walsh is already going to be playing amazing considering how fast his recovery from his syndesmosis issue is just missing the first round of this season. There are clearly varying degrees of syndesmosis because it holds some guys out far longer than others. The way that the media is describing it, though, it seems like this was a more severe case that Walsh has just been able to heal from quite well. Not sure if that's a product of the way that he's been trained, his sort of therapy, or if he's just... Injury resistance due to his age or just other qualities. He just built different. Yes, that's a phrase that Ethan likes saying about himself now. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm not surprised to see Josh Shackey drop. I was surprised to see William drop because I thought he actually played pretty well, but kind of a wait and see. I think it's going to be, if things go south, I think Luke Beveridge is going to come under the microscope. Taking out a guy like Williams... Yes, again, you'd be playing without Bailey Smith. That's tough by itself. It would be totally understandable for them to be 0-2. I don't think it would be doom and gloom. But I think it would be a similar situation to what the Cats had last year, where you had a lot of questioning Chris Scott. Not questioning so much the team's long-term well-being, but questioning their ability to run with the top of the league. And I think that's going to be a very fair question to ask if they drop this one. Now, the Gamblers don't seem to think they're going to drop this one. Bovada has the Bulldogs favored by 8.5. Bovada is not a sponsor. We welcome them as a sponsor. Anything else you've got to say about this one? I'm just interested to see how much the Carlton mids are going to be pushing forward, aside from Patrick Cripps, from whom we all expect that. With Chair out, we're going to see, you know, 
how much Walsh is just going to fill that role or just how they differ. It's going to be really the first time that we're able to see those differences with them, you know, one in one week and out the other. Looking at any other potential issues, it looks like the lineup is otherwise largely the same for both teams other than what we mentioned already. I think the Blues backline is one that we somehow really didn't discuss last week as playing the important role it did. Obviously, we talked about Doherty being forward enough to get that goal that just kind of rallied everyone around him even more. I did mention Oscar McDonald. He struggled early and got it together late. You know, if he's able to line up and keep his man on him, he can keep someone like Aaron Naughton from really getting going. I think there's a chance for him to really make an impact. And then there's also Adam Saad and Jacob Wiedering on the back line. Just two absolute workhorses, especially Saad. I was honestly surprised at how much Essendon was able to do last year without Saad anchoring that back line. And I highlighted Mitch McGovern in the round one recap as having transitioned quite well to his halfback role. We'll see how he's able to keep that up. Just as stiff, if not stiffer, competition for the second week in a row, including, of course, Aaron Naughton in the full forward and Cody Waitman and Adam Trelor in that half forward rank. It's just deep forward groups and mid groups all around. And I feel like it's not something that was highlighted nearly as much with Carlton, at least from our perspective, just because Carlton was Carlton the past couple of years, and that meant middling. Harry Mackay is a guy we barely mentioned last week. I think he's got a real chance to step up, see how Caleb Daniel and others do to try to stop him. But Harry Mackay was quiet round one. Would expect he'll bounce back this week, or at least be featured more prominently. We'll find out quickly if his lack of notoriety last week was more due to other guys stepping up, or if it was just a product of Richmond keeping him in check. It'll be interesting to see how that game plan goes about. I'm also interested to see who's going to be matched up on him. I mean, it's tough to match up against anyone who, like Nate Fryman, is 6'8". I don't think Caleb Daniels is going to be on him, though I'd love the visual of that. That would just be like the Aaron Judge and Jose Altuve image. So a lot of storylines within this season already developing around this round two opener. It's Thursday night footy, which means Thursday morning in America. 1.20 a.m. Pacific, Thursday the 24th, 4.20 a.m. Eastern Daylight. Nice. La-da-da-da-da. And 7.20 p.m. local time in Melbourne. One thing worth noting, after round three, games are going to be an hour later for American audiences with the end of Australian Daylight Savings Time. Just expect, you know, instead of those 1 a.m. starts, they'll be 2 a.m., etc. But that's not for another couple weeks. So enjoy these start times for now. I think once you... And daylight saving time. I think it's a bit more convenient for East Coast fans who can just start their morning early, and it's a little bit less convenient for West Coast fans who would have to stay up a bit later. I am looking forward to those Eagles matches at Optus starting at some ungodly hour like 3.30 a.m. At a less ungodly hour, but one that would be worth watching regardless of time, Friday night footy, Sydney hosting Geelong, both teams 1-0. Swans pulled away late from GWS. That's Crushed Essendon by 66 in the only game in all of round one that wasn't compelling entering the fourth quarter, which from a Cats fan standpoint was awesome. You had eight really intriguing games, and the one that wasn't was the Cats because they were up so big, so I loved that. Last season, they met just once. It was at the SCG. Tom Papley scored late. Then refs called not 15 on a pretty clear 15 
that screwed Geelong out of a chance at a kick after the siren. Swans ended up winning that game by two. Brian Myers was injured. It was a hell of a game. The AFL kept showing Tom Papley's unspectacular goal celebration of a decent goal that was amplified by being in an important situation. But this is the match that I had circled from the start when the schedule for this year came out. Here's the Cats' chance to avenge a loss from last year at the scene of the crime. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of eyes on Buddy Franklin. He's at 996. I wonder if him scoring just one last week will temper expectations a bit. It's always possible for him to bag four, though. I would never put that out of the question, but I think there are far more important things to focus on considering the way the Swans played round one. I think if you're the Cats, you're looking at what the hell do we do about Luke Parker. That said, injury news for Geelong is actually pretty positive. It looked really bad for Jeremy Cameron, who left at the end of the first quarter against Essendon. He ended up going to the hospital. He was struggling to breathe. There was concern over rib or lung damage. That all turned out fine. It was just a hip pointer. He trained separate from the team on Wednesday, but there's a chance he gets in there. I don't know if he will. It's great to have that possibility, though. We do know that Jed Buse and Mitch Duncan will be back. Especially excited to have Buse to supplement Tom Stewart and Jake Kolajashny in the back. Buse slotting in logically with Sam DeConing out with concussion. Gary Rowan likely still out, but there's a chance he returns from his back injury. For Sydney, we mentioned Tom Papley already. He is not going to play. He's got a hamstring injury still lingering. But it looks like the Swans are getting Jake Lloyd and Chad Warner out of protocols. The other thing that interests me about this game is just kind of the age gap between the emerging core of the Swans with all that sophomore talent and just how DeLong at this point are probably the team with the oldest core in the competition alongside maybe West Coast, but I'd say the Cats are older in that. I'm wondering if that difference in age will also translate to a difference in speed that might be very difficult for the Cats to manage before Chad Warner, Errol Golden, McDonald, etc. make their way toward the forward 50. That said, the Cats showed a lot of speed in round one, so hopefully they let Brendan Parfit really lead that charge again. If they do, instead of trying to play that physical game, I think it could go really well. I think this could be a super entertaining, super high-scoring game. But I also think Tom Stewart can help limit things on the defensive side. Also, people forget just how fast Patrick Dangerfield is. Yes, he's 31. Yes, he's had his injury troubles, but he didn't win those grand final sprints for nothing. Moving on to Saturday, get things started between Collingwood and Adelaide. This one will be at 7.45 p.m. Pacific Time Friday night, 10.45 p.m. on the East Coast. And if you're in Australia, in Melbourne, 1.45 p.m. local time Saturday start at the MCG. Collingwood enters 1-0, having beaten St. Kilda. Adelaide 0-1 after the gut-wrenching loss to Fremantle. Thanks to Heath Chapman and Heath Chapman alone. Don't at me. These two teams met at the Adelaide Oval last year. Collingwood came home by five points in a game that I remember being a pretty good back-and-forth affair. If I recall correctly, that was when the fly-in, fly-out situation was going on because of protocols and stuff in various states. So Collingwood like flew in the day of the match, flew out immediately after, and brought the four points home. Looking at injury concerns, looks like Mason Cox's ankle issue is going to keep him out. We kind of expected that he'd be out between just his below average play and the potential issues that came from Dougal Howard bumping him, among other things. So 
expect Darcy Cameron to emerge again in place of Cox, as well as seeing Will Hoskin Elliott and Nathan Kruger set to return. Kruger could provide a nice fill for Cox up front as one of the taller forwards, and he can really play up front. That's an opportunity he didn't have with the Cats and the biggest reason he was traded. For the Crows, you're looking at a potential return for Rory Laird with his hand injury healing pretty well. They also will have Rory Sloan after his suspension was overturned to the tribunal. There were three trials Tuesday, and two of them went in the players' favor. We'll touch on the one that didn't when we come to the next game. Now, this is a double matchup for Collingwood and Adelaide. They'll be meeting again at the Adelaide Oval in round 18. But looking at this one in round two, what can we expect? Well, first off, I'm taking back that Collingwood's favored by 17 and a half. Yes, they played well, but Adelaide nearly beat a potential final team, a depleted one at that. But I think a 17 and a half point line seems a bit steep. But this also could be a game where that line, you know, it comes out of the final couple plays and you're looking at, you know, a late behind or late goal that doesn't affect the outcome, but affects the line. I think that's something that could be worth following. I'm really interested to see what Adelaide does to try to stop Jordan Dugowie. He was obviously very good in round one, and the Crows are going to have to be able to slow him down in order to win this one, which I think it's a very winnable game for Adelaide. I really believe. I think they have a semblance of structure, and I'm curious to see what Josh Rochelle does to follow up round one, because in my opinion, he was the rising star. Him versus Nick Dacos could be a really fun one-on-one if they get lined up together. Also curious to see how Patrick Lipinski follows things up. Another strong showing for him would have the dogs questioning why they let him go. Although, understandably, he didn't really have a spot there. But at the same time, if he plays this well, he'll be looking like a guy that you should be making a spot for. I'm just trying to see, you know, who would potentially be matching up against Jordan Dugowie. He's such an interesting player in just how much of a threat he is really throughout the forward half. And it's tough to match up against him as a result when combined with his physicality. Looking at Adelaide's list, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how much up the ground they're going to have people like Brody Smith potentially have to play to stop him with those long kicks. And some of it will likely have to come down to the other mids. Jordan Dawson will probably need to take a good amount of a defensive role against Dugowie and just the handball deftness that Collingwood's older midfield crop still has. Also interested to see if Ben Keyes or Lachlan Scholl end up matching up against Lipinski at all. I think that would be a bit of a tougher matchup than anyone for St. Kilda posed. As for Adelaide, just another thing to note, Dugowie can bomb it long, so can Darcy Fogarty for Adelaide, so we'll see just how far out these teams are going to try to set up their kicks for goal, both in live play and on set shots. We could also see a lot of goals off center bounces. Collingwood scored five center bounce goals against St. Kilda. Adelaide scored four against Fremantle. Actually outscored them 4-0 on those. So it'll be really interesting to see how teams try to adjust to that. Because as we mentioned in our round one recap, that was a common theme of round one. It was the highest scoring round off center bounces since round 15 of the 2018 season. Now, there are four games on Saturday. We're going to move from the first one to the second. This one does not overlap with the others. The other two do overlap. We got Essendon and Brisbane matching up at Marvel Stadium. That is at 
10.35 p.m. Pacific on Friday the 25th. That's 1.35 a.m. Eastern on the 26th, 4.35 p.m. Melbourne time. And both these teams definitely have something to prove despite their differing results. Essendon is well at the bottom of the ladder after being crushed by Geelong in the first round. And the Lions are coming off a narrow win in the not-so-gilded grapple against Port Adelaide. These teams matched up early on in 2021 at the Gabba, where Brisbane crushed Essendon by 57 points. Now, it is notable for Brisbane that Mitch Robinson's one-match suspension was upheld. I'm not exactly clear on that. Not exactly in favor of it, but he's going to be out. However, Dane Zorko was possibly going to be able to play, so having the Lions captain in and what he's able to do with kind of a bullying role if he has to is definitely going to have the potential to soften that blow of having Robinson out. Jaden Laverde got hurt early on last week against Geelong. This was after Kyle Langford's injury, so it basically reduced the Bombers to playing with 21 instead of 22. He's possibly back, Laverde. Langford's going to be out 8 to 10 weeks with that hamstring injury. That one obviously was pretty serious. Aaron Francis and Jake Stringer should be good to go for the Bombers. Most importantly, Stringer. Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody still working through things to get back up to game speed after taking his break. These teams will meet twice this year. They also meet round 17 at the GABA. For this one, Brisbane is favored by 16 and a half. What about this matchup stands out to you? The returning players for Essendon stand out for me a lot, especially Stringer, because I feel like that can help shore up a lot of the issues that they had in just not being able to get the ball into their forward half in the first place against the Cats. I want to go back and see what the time of the forward half was from that game, because that was ugly. It felt like the field at the MCG was just kind of cut in half a lot of the time. I can't find the time and forward half metrics on the AFL website, but I do know that it was not pretty, and Essendon would probably have the lowest out of that in terms of the first round. I'm interested to see if Brisbane can look better than they did last week, because I didn't think they looked all that good, even though they ended up with a pretty nice win. It was a quiet game for Hugh McCluggage, who's listed as a Brownlow favorite by a lot of analysts. It was a very quiet first game back for Cam Rayner. Charlie Cameron didn't score until late. I think there are opportunities for all three of those to really step up and make the Lions look like not just a good team, but a powerhouse. And considering how well they play at the GABA, this will be a test for them going on the road. These teams, as we hinted earlier, do meet at the GABA in round 17, but I'm interested to see what do the Lions look like outside of their own building where they've only lost a couple times in the last few years during the regular season. I feel like this is going to be a chance to really examine the coaching adjustments for both Essendon and Brisbane for very, very, very different reasons. We talked in the round one recap about coaches being able to still make meaningful adjustments after a win. We talked about that in terms of hopefully Justin Longmuir for Fremantle and hopefully Chris Fagan as well for Brisbane. Ripping Joe Danaher a new one at the half is not the only thing that he has to do. And meanwhile, for Truck, where the hell do you start? I guess in terms of Essendon and Ben Rutten's case, I guess you have to start all the way back at the beginning, at the bottom, just get the fundamentals right. 
it's going to be tedious, but that might be what's necessary for them to gain some sort of footing to make themselves look like a semblance of a team that knows what they're doing. I am curious to see who they put on Nick Martin, whether they go with Daniel Rich or one of the other defenders. I would think that's Daniel Rich's job, but curious to see how they plan to match that up. Could be Harris Andrews. I feel like people don't mention how deep Brisbane's back lines are. Brandon Starsevich, I think, is another very viable option back there to go on. Martin, especially someone who's considered, you know, more of a secondary assignment, despite bagging five goals. Again, it's just one game. Not sure, you know, how much emphasis you put on. Okay, he's the new guy. He scored right away, but how much do you expect him to be able to keep that up? What do you also have to do? A stringer at half forward and two-meter Peter in the very front. Before we continue, just want to give you a reminder that you can follow me on Twitter at Castle Media, K-A-S-S-E-L-M-E-D-I-A. I feel like we need to make a jingle at some point, just like, that's Castle with a K. Ooh, that's actually a pretty good idea. Um, you can follow both of us at Americans Footy. That's where we'll be tweeting our live match commentary and reactions for other thoughts on other sports and some extra West Coast Eagles and general AFL commentary. I'm at BenjaminHK01. And you could probably hear Brian Harambe in the background there. Ethan let him in recently. You can find him at CatNamedGrian on Instagram. CatNamedGrian. And I'm proud to announce that this week's episode is sponsored by Nuts and Gum. After doing some analysis, we've realized that our target demographic are white males age 18 to 49. And when you're a white man ages 18 to 49, you can have whatever you want. So why not have nuts and gum? That's nuts and gum together at last. At this point, we're halfway through the Saturday slate. These next two matches, the fifth and sixth to start in the round, overlap for nearly their entire duration. If you want to catch the first quarter of the first one and then catch all the rest, you can. But this is the first time that matches are overlapping all season. I'd be interested to see where the ratings fall for this. Obviously, there's going to be some regional bias based on the non-Victorian teams, but I just want to see, you know, where the national interest falls. The earlier starting of the two is Port Adelaide and Hawthorne at the Adelaide Oval. That starts Saturday the 26th, 1.40 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time, 4.40 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. In Adelaide, it's a 7.10 p.m. bounce. And in Victoria, New South Wales, Tasmania, that's a 7.40 p.m. bounce. Port Adelaide lost to Brisbane in round one. Hawthorne beat North Melbourne to start the Sam Mitchell era. Again, I mentioned it in the recap. All three debutante coaches won their initial matches, so that's the honeymoon phase. We'll see what happens next in those relationships. These teams matched up in round 16 of 2021, obviously a very different look for both of those teams based on the ins and outs and the fact that Alistair Clarkson was still coaching. Port Adelaide came home by 34 points in that one. And talking about the injuries for Port Adelaide, Charlie Dixon and Orazio Fantasia are still out. Dixon needing two to three more weeks. Fantasia out potentially until around round nine or so. But Alir Alir is the big new out. He had syndesmosis surgery on his ankle and that puts him out five to six weeks. As we mentioned during our round one recap, this is probably, if you had to pick a stretch of games for him to miss, probably the most ideal ones. They could be getting Xavier Dersma back. 
They could be getting Trent McKenzie back, which is really surprising considering how bad his injury looked at first, but it looks like that's only a hyperextended knee, doesn't seem to be any structural damage. So the power are definitely very fortunate in that aspect. Robbie Gray is also likely good to go, and Connor Rosie, who was completely invisible in round one, also likely ready to go. But I think there's a big chance here for the Port Adelaide forwards who were so quiet in round one, especially Mitch Georgiatis and Jeremy Finlayson, to prove that they don't just have to ride Charlie Dixon's coattails to success. If they have a successful game, albeit against lesser competition, I think it will quiet a lot of concerns. And just internally just serve as a confidence boost. And hopefully they'll be able to back up another good Dan Houston performance because he was easily best on ground at the GABA, and it's going to be one of those cases where the best player on ground didn't win. For Hawthorne, Jarman Impey is likely out with some ankle and foot issues, but Will Day is a possible return, and the two big veteran pieces that were in protocol are both coming back, big boy Ben McAvoy and Luke Roost. The Hawks are really a pretty healthy squad coming into this round two affair, which is... An encouraging sign, especially when you're going to be playing likely finals competition. Port Adelaide is favored by 24 and a half going by Bovada. Curious to see if the Hawks can keep up at all considering Port Adelaide's current injured state. I think a lot of people still count them out. The line suggests the public perception there. But I think this could actually still be one of those sneaky, compelling games. I think one of the two in this slate is going to be pretty good. And it's just a matter of which one. I think there's a chance this could actually be a pretty entertaining game, especially if Hawthorne kicks better than the 11-12 they did last week. I also am interested to see whether Sam Mitchell is going to allow Chakwak Jaff to roam as much as he did in round one, considering just the kind of names that they're going to potentially be up against for those two forward lines. Again, Georgiades and Rosie were generally quiet. I think Zach Butters was the best of those half forwards. And then obviously Robbie Gray is going to be right there and it seems like he'll be good to go. So CJ is going to be tasked with a lot inside the defensive 50. And so I wonder just how much he'll be allowed to move up the ground rather than having to wait on defending that back half. Should be more opportunities for Steven Mothlop, who came in as the injury replacement last week. Would think we'll get to see... Much more of him. I would think he'll be included in some capacity beyond just as an injury replacement. Montlop replaced Xavier Derzma at quarter time. Again, both of them are expected to go, but being in different positions, I would expect they would both be in the 22, if not both in the 18. Moving on to the other late Saturday contest, Gold Coast hosting Melbourne at Metricon Stadium. This one starts at 2 a.m. Pacific time, 5 a.m. on the East Coast. 7 p.m. in Queensland and 8 p.m. in Melbourne. So it starts 20 minutes after Port Adelaide versus Hawthorne. If you've got a two-screen setup, take advantage of it. What's nice is that the games are staggered enough that halftime won't overlap, because that's one of the really annoying things, like when all the NFL games start at the same time, when they all hit halftime. I mean, if you're looking for a bathroom break, great timing, but otherwise kind of a bit of a drag. I think we're probably going to be more like Scott Hansen here, glued to the TV. Both these teams entered 1-0, Gold Coast getting the win in Perth over the Eagles last week, Melbourne winning the season opener over the Bulldogs, so a much longer layoff for the Demons, almost a half week of extra rest. And while they're going on the road this week, the Suns had to come all the way back from Perth, so 
from a rest standpoint, even with home field favoring the Suns, schedule favors the Demons. Last year, these teams played an empty Marvel Stadium in round 20, which the Demons won by 98. They led 80-21 to 21 at the half. Meanwhile, if we're looking at injuries, I would say that that more favors the Suns. There are minimal injury concerns for them. Obviously, Ben King is out for the whole year, but it seems like they're used to that at this point with what their forwards were capable of last week when necessary. Yes, there were some set shot issues early. Lukosius had trouble early, but steadied into form as the game went on, and Gold Coast came home kicking 8 nothing in the fourth quarter. And their additions in that forward third, Mabior Chol, Levi Casbolt, look to be very important pieces, as well as Isaac Rankin showing up and kicking four. Meanwhile, for Melbourne, Jake Lever is still out with his foot issue. Christian Salem is the new big out. His knee injury is going to keep him out six to eight weeks. However, looks like they will get Trent Rivers. Melbourne is expected to win this one. 23 and a half point favorites on the road. But I think the Suns could really prove something. They don't have to win to prove something. I just want to see their midfield keep up. Because last week, Matt Rowell looked tremendous. And Tuke Miller. Rowell had his 33 disposals and six tackles. Miller, 29 disposals, five tackles, and a goal. If they can keep up what they did against the likes of Max Gunn and Christian Petraka, it'll prove that this Suns midfield is among the best in the competition, even if they're lacking in some other areas. I'm also curious to see how many goals the group of Chol, Casbolt, Ainsworth, and Ranking can amount to. Last week, they added up to 10. And I think if those four combined for 10, the Suns are a really hard team to beat obviously going to be different facing a team that doesn't look like a hospital ward. Another thing to note in terms of Max Gone is the way that the ruck battle is going to shake out. Jared Witz held his own against Nick Natanui and dominated against the others for the Eagles, but he's going to be up against Gone and Luke Jackson most of the time in round two, and his support, his backup, is not great, so he's going to be tasked with a lot. If the Suns are going to be able to get those possessions to Matt Rowell and Tuke Miller, it's going to start with Wits having success in the Rock. So it should be a great ending to that Saturday, which will actually be Saturday at that point in the West. I would honestly consider, you know, going to bed early and then waking up for those final two games if I'm a fan of one of those teams on the East Coast, but because we're here in the Pacific, we're just going to be up watching it all until super late, and I will not regret a damn thing because I will still be on spring break. Meanwhile, looking ahead to the Sunday affairs, they start for us in America on Saturday night with North Melbourne and West Coast matching up at Marvel Stadium. That will be a 7.10 p.m. start for the Pacific time zone, 10.10 Eastern, it's a Sunday afternoon affair in Melbourne, one ten p.m. local. Both North Melbourne and West Coast are 0-1. North Melbourne lost a close one that really got out of hand in the third and fourth quarter to Hawthorne, just with an inability from their forwards to really amount to anything in the last two and a half quarters, aside from when Todd Goldstein was put up there. I believe he kicked two of their three second-half goals. Meanwhile... As Ethan said, the hospital war that is the West Coast Eagles lost to Gold Coast. I felt really down about that one. But looking back, I'm more impressed with what the Suns were able to do 
And I'm wondering how much of that was because the midfield was so depleted. The defensive core was largely there for the Eagles. McGovern was there. Barras was there. Rotham was there. Looking further up the ground for the Eagles, Josh Kennedy is in protocol. However, Jack Darling and Luke Shuey are expected back in. And Liam Ryan isn't listed on the report, so it looks like he has cleared protocols as well as Tim Kelly. So some important pieces returning there. Still going to be lacking Oscar Allen, though. For North Melbourne, Josh Walker is likely to slot in to replace the concussed Ben Mackay. Atu Bosenovulagi is out with a concussion. And Jared Pollock is questionable. Now, if you're watching this in Perth, I guess this would be a morning kickoff, 10 a.m., kind of like... West Coast fans in the U.S. of East Coast football teams, myself included, have to deal with all the time. So, welcome to my world. If you're not a morning person, good luck. Set multiple alarms, please. The spread on Bovada has West Coast favored by just four and a half, which I think is a bit low. But I'm curious to see how these teams match up. You know, North Melbourne showed an interesting look last week, even if it didn't entirely work by playing such a big forward line. I'm curious to see if the Eagles adapted all to that. I'm also curious to see if Jaden Stevenson shows up because last week he was pretty much non-existent. I think this does have the potential to be a pretty high-scoring affair with the returning players for West Coast. I feel like if it's a high-scoring match, it'll favor the Eagles more just with my questions about North Melbourne's back line. I think this is really a chance for Tim Kelly to show his worth again right out of the gate, as well as for Jack Petrocelli to wreak more havoc like he did with his pair of goals against the Suns. And more than anything, as an Eagles fan, I'm just hoping for some semblance of revenge. It feels really bad to say that I want revenge against last year's Wooden Spooners, but here we are. There was that massive disappointment in round 17 where the Eagles could not kick straight for the life of them, and they lost by 10 to North on home ground. That was what we thought would be maybe a turning point for David Noble's Kangaroos. Yeah, they had picked up a win or two before that, but we were thinking, okay, they've gotten this huge road win in the bag. What else can they manage? They didn't do much for the rest of 2021, but it's definitely something off which they can build, especially with the matchup knowledge that they obtained from that affair. Moving on, just two games left. There will be a slight overlap with this next one starting just over two hours after they get going down the road at Marvel. This one is at the MCG, Richmond taking on GWS. That one will start 9.20 p.m. Pacific Saturday night. If you're on the East Coast of the United States, 12.20 a.m. on Sunday. And if you're in Melbourne or in New South Wales, 3.20 p.m. AEDT. Both these teams come in at 0-1, having lost their openers. Richmond losing to Carlton in what was technically an away game at the G, GWS losing to Sydney in what was technically a home game at Accor Stadium, but that was a Sydney home game, basically, whereas Richmond was playing in front of probably a 50-50 crowd. These teams met twice in 2021. In round nine, Richmond defeated the Giants by four in a home game at Marvel Stadium that Damian Harvick's probably still bitching about. They met again in an empty Marble Stadium in round 22 in a game that was originally supposed to be at the Sydney Showground, GWS taking that one by 39. At that point, Richmond's season was a lost cause, and GWS was basically trying to secure their spot in the eighth, which they effectively did. 
But this time, they actually aren't playing at Marvel. They get to play at the G. So I guess this would be their first time at the G since the 2019 Grand Final. Injury report for Richmond is pretty hefty. Dion Prestia's hamstring injury looked pretty serious last week. He's expected to be out at least three to four weeks. I wouldn't be surprised if it was more because it looked pretty bad. Jack Revolt suffered a thumb injury in the first quarter and was largely invisible. Kind of played like a 33-year-old. He's out for another week or two, as is Nick Blastone, who is on the mend from a hamstring injury. Some late list news out of Punt Road. Dustin Martin is tending to a personal matter, and he has not been with the club since their match review session on Monday. So it looks like he will not be in line to play this weekend. We will see how much longer this matter goes on, and hopefully he'll be able to be back on the Oval soon because he is one of the most galvanizing players really in all of sport, in my opinion. For GWS, pretty minor injury list to begin with in terms of number of injured players. There are a couple of pretty long-term ones they have to deal with. Jack Buckley's injury and Brent Daniels. But Jesse Hogan could return, and they could also have Nick Haynes back. He had a stomach injury, whereas Hogan just listed as soreness, which is almost as vague as when... NHL teams say someone's got an upper or lower body injury. Actually, that might be a little more vague. Honestly, it probably is because you can't really target any area if you say they're just sore. I don't know, just give them some ibuprofen and put them out there or something. I don't know. But Haynes and Hogan both played VFL last week. Also looking at getting Braden Proust back. So another important ruck support there for Matt Flynn. But really the baseline in terms of the Giants injury report is This is pretty much what they had last week at the very worst. And it's good that they'll be able to build up from that against an opponent, which should be on their level, honestly. Both vying for those maybe middle third spots. Some people think Richmond might be a double chance team. I don't quite see it. Maybe it's just me thinking about their round one performance. But also, yes, they have triple premiership pieces, but they're five years older those pieces from when they first won the flag. I think, barring a shock, Port Adelaide lost to Hawthorne. These would be the teams that have the most to lose by falling to 0-2. I don't think it would be that devastating if the Bulldogs started 0-2, considering they're missing Bailey Smith, considering they had Melbourne round one, considering Josh Bruce still has his ACL injury, and he is going to provide a whole lot of help in that forward line when he's back. I just think he's something that's not very well. If one of these teams starts 0-2, I think you really start to ask a lot of questions about their standing for the rest of the season. As for the on-field stuff, I'm curious to see if Tom Green can replicate what he did round one, because he looked really good. When he's going, when Harry Himmelberg and Bobby Hill are going, Dang it, Bobby. that's when the Giants are a really scary team. And if Tom Green delivers what he did round one, this team could be really devastating. One guy who I think they'll be looking for more from is Jacob Hopper, who is very quiet. 17 disposals, two tackles. I think this will be an opportunity for Tom Green to really take advantage of his speed going through the midfield. Trent Cotchin is someone who's definitely going to be on the lookout for him, but I think that's someone that Tom Green will be able to speak past and maybe up to some of the half forwards to try to stop him. That's where someone like Shea Bolton may definitely factor in. The GWS back line is a major concern. I know you were impressed with a couple of individuals, but as a collective group, it's definitely a weakness. I think that opens up a lot of opportunities for Shea Bolton and Jason Castagna. 
I'm curious to see how the Noongar tandem of Shea Bolton and Marlon Pickett do, because they were probably the brightest spot in round one for the Tigers. Looking at those players that I did highlight, I'm interested to see whether it's going to be Bill Davis or Sam Taylor or who it is going to be on Tom Lynch. I think that's going to be a really important matchup close to the goal square. And I think that's a match that could end up turning the tide one way or the other. Also could be an opportunity for Hugo Ralph Smith to get selected. He's definitely become a personal favorite of mine between the name and the hair. He's only 20 years old, so hopefully this is the start of something big for him. And for the Giants as well, it was good to see Jared Brander getting time and definitely showing off some of his ability after being thrown all over the place for the Eagles. Hopefully he'll be able to have some consistency in that forward line. Yes, he's versatile, but it, but just because you're versatile doesn't mean you know it's easy for you to go back and forth between the forward and back lines week in and week out, Simo. With that, I think we're ready to get on to the round two finale. I guess it's a nightcap, although it's pretty early for a nightcap, I'd say. It's a 6.20 p.m. start in Melbourne. It's a 3.20 start in Perth when Fremantle is going to take on St. Kilda at Optus Stadium. That corresponds to a 12.20 a.m. bounce on Sunday the 27th for us in the Pacific and 3.20 a.m. Eastern. Fremantle started off with that nail-biter one-point win over Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval. Meanwhile, St. Kilda had that loss to Collingwood at Marvel Stadium. These teams met late last season. They met in the season finale for each of them. St. Kilda beating Fremantle pretty handily by 58 points at a game that was moved to Bloodstone Arena outside of Hobart to get a crowd there. Neither team was in the picture at that point, so I'd say this is their first meeting of relevance since 2020 when Fremantle won a thriller 79-73 at Metricon before a crowd of under a 1,000. I remember catching a tiny bit of that match from middle-of-nowhere Ely, Nevada, because I was on a trip at the time to explore, among other things, Yellowstone and Grand Teton, two amazing national parks. These teams meet twice this year. They'll also be battling at Marvel in round 17. Biggest news on the injury front for Frio, Sean Darcy is back. Nat Fife is doubtful with his back injury. Matt Tabiner is out one to three more weeks. Nathan Wilson, a possible return on the back line for the Dockers. Meanwhile, for the Saints, Jack Hayes stays in, while Patty Ryder, though seemingly healthy, is going to be playing VFL this week. So... More of an emphasis on Rowan Marshall in the ruck there for St. Kilda. Fremantle's favored by 12.5, which seems a little bit low to me. I think the Dockers are in that spot, as we mentioned earlier. They didn't play that well last week. I think they can prove something by not just winning, but winning in style. Other than Rory Lobb, who couldn't kick straight for the first half, I think there are a lot of guys who have room to be a lot better. Yes, Rayshaw played a really solid game, but I think there are a lot of individual performances where you maybe saw a good quarter or a good half, like we got from Caleb Sarong. Like Michael Dr. Frederick. Yes, Michael Frederick. Sam Switkowski played well late but started slow. Darcy Tucker had kind of an off-and-on game. Jordan Clark had a couple of decent moments. Was good overall in terms of ground gain, but definitely did have less of an impact in the second half, did Clark. 
really it comes down to for free metal how much can those forward units improve on their accuracy and just their stamina from round one hopefully conditions will be better because it was hot as balls at the adelaide oval about 32 celsius 90 fahrenheit Looks like it may be humid on Sunday in Perth, but not overly so. Looks like it'll be right in between a couple days of rain, so definitely a chance for some humidity there. Temperature should be in the 24 to 25 degrees Celsius range, about something in the mid-70s Fahrenheit, so should be pretty pleasant weather. Hopefully a good crowd and a chance for the Dockers fans to show that they have high expectations this season, like we do. Of course, there still is the half-capacity cap for this round. We're not sure yet as to whether or not that will stay. I honestly believe it probably will stay with some climbing case numbers in Western Australia, though not necessarily symptomatic cases or hospitalizations. I get that they're taking things seriously, but when the rest of the country is doing one thing and Western Australia is the odd one out doing more to clamp down on things, it's not something that entirely reflects well on the administration. Now, for St. Kilda, I was very underwhelmed by them round one. Yes, I had low expectations for them, but they're going to need to show a lot more, even without Patty Ryder. Max King needs to actually kick straight for once. This game can set a record for worst ratio of goals to behinds if these teams keep up their form. King kicked 1-3 last week. Tim Membry, I did like what he gave. He ended up scoring 3-2. He had a really strong second half results-wise. First half, he did a lot of things that didn't show up on the score sheet, but looked pretty solid in doing so. What do you want to see from St. Kilda? Because I thought they were just really lousy. I mean, Jack Steele had his 28 disposals, seven tackles, but I was so unimpressed by them. And that's a team that I had low expectations for to begin with. I just want to see more, period, out of them. It's honestly not surprising that it was a couple Jacks that were driving them. I was just surprised that Hayes was one of them and not Higgins. I want to see more out of Higgins as well as really the rest of that forward line looking at Higgins along with Cooper Sharman and Max King. We know that Max is a good long kick if he can actually get it off the boot in the right direction, just like his twin brother. Jack Higgins, there are some talk, there are a lot of fans who want to see him held out for round two, but that seems unlikely just considering the way the Saints depth chart is, but he kicked 0-4 in round one. He's going to need to be a lot better. And for Frio, the question is just, can they actually kick goals instead of settling for behinds? Because they're a good possession team. They've got the talent to be a finals team. Can they just get over this one massive glaring flaw that seems like it should at least be an easily correctable one? It'll be a time where we can see just how much work Justin Longmuir and his staff are going to be able to do in that regard. Longmuir was a good kick throughout his career, kicked well under pressure. You've probably seen that great mark and after the siren take that Longmuir had in the past, right? Yes, I believe Longmuir's so. Longmuir's taking a screamer! Love that call. Another thing to look forward to for the Saints, the debut of Naziah Wanganin Malera. We were thinking it might happen last round. It is confirmed now for Sunday. The nephew of Essendon and Port Adelaide great Gavin Wanganin the son of former St. Terry Molera. Great pedigree, exciting prospect. Looking forward to seeing what he can do in the big time. Now, one thing that I'm going to include this week as we wrap up. First off, I want 
listeners know that this is probably around the pace we'll usually have. Round one, things were very long because there was so much to look forward to. I think this length of preview show is probably about what you're going to get typically. You know, extra focus on a couple of big games, and then other than that, just kind of some general statements as we go through the maximum of nine matches, which, other than a couple rounds in the middle, you're going to get the full nine, barring any unforeseen circumstances. Trademark. A couple of general things to look out for this round. Again, barring a massive upset to Port Adelaide, I think Richmond and GWS have the most to lose. I think there are a lot of teams with a lot to gain. It would be too many to list off to be listing more than half the league. And I'm curious to see if the center bounces keep up because we had so many goals scored off of center bounces in round one. We'll see if that pace repeats itself in round two or how long it takes coaches to adjust. If you remember the way last season started, scoring went down as the season went on between colder and wetter weather, coaches making adjustments. I'm curious to see when that kicks in, and I'm curious to see how heavily it'll kick in and what sort of pace of play this season ends up being defined by. Because I was pretty compelled by what we saw in round one. As was I. Just thinking about, you know, which teams might actually have the most to gain. I would say that Essendon has the most to prove. And with that, of course, a lot to gain. Just can they actually show up in another game in Melbourne against a side that is, in my opinion, just as formidable, if not more of a premiership contender in Brisbane. I think Richmond versus Greater Western Sydney, as we said, has massive implications on what both of those teams are going to be able to do going forward. And if Hawthorne and Gold Coast can show respectively, maybe not win, but at least show that they can stick with Port Adelaide and Melbourne respectively, I think that's going to reflect very well on the way that they're developing, whether it's a first-year coach or a coach who might be on his last legs. I'm also just wondering, you know, how much was what the Gold Coast Suns did in round one a product of Stuart Dew's coaching or just a product of the raw ability of their forward and midfield units? Also, how much of it was facing a banged-up Eagles team? Now, even though they are healthier, I think there is a chance for this North Melbourne West Coast game to be a real sicko special that I was hoping Suns Eagles would give us in round one. I think this game could give us that. Now, one thing I'm going to round things off with this week, after looking at the lines, I actually see a few games that I'm interested in betting on. So I'm going to give you my New Jersey Gambling Radio Parlay of the Week. These are my Stone Cold Lots of the Week. We got the Adelaide Crows by 17 and a half at home. They've given 17 and a half. That's a fugazi. West Coast only favored by four and a half against North Gabagool. Fremantle 12 and a half point favorites at home. Easy money in the bank. Take those three. Take yourself out to get some nice spumoni. Holy cow, that voice is terrible, but I'm not going to try to do any better because I know I can't. I do have some good impressions in me. You guys have heard my Plankton voice in the past, but I'm just not going to try with the Italian accent. I do agree that I do agree that Adelaide should not be nearly three goal underdogs against Collingwood, and I agree that Fremantle really will have the ability to pile it on against St. Kilda. As for West Coast and North Melbourne, I wouldn't be so keen as to bet on that one, just with the Eagles list still being so incomplete and a lot of units being there for their first game. How much time will they need to get up to speed, especially for one Jack 
darling, especially with Kennedy out if he's going to be out through protocols. With that, that's going to be a wrap. We'll see you early next week with our round two recap. I think generally the recap shows are probably going to be longer than the preview shows, but this is all still a work in progress. As always, if you have any suggestions for us with how we're doing the show, if you think our analysis is spot on, if you think we're idiots, come talk to us. We're always available for feedback, especially on Twitter, whether that's through DM or just a public conversation. We'd love to have more people talking and engaging in Twitter threads. You can always find us on Twitter at Americans Footy. You can find me at Castle Media, K-A-S-S-E-L-M-E-D-I-A. That's Castle with a K. I really need to record that jingle. I am at BenjaminHK01 on Twitter. Brian Harabe, who is now curled up right next to his dad like he should be, is cat named Brian on Instagram. And looking ahead to that round two recap, it is likely that we will be in person again for that one with how my class schedule works out. So look forward to actually hearing us have normal conversations without technical difficulties at least once more before mid-May when I come back home after I graduate. All right, that's going to do it for this one. I'm still trying to think of a fun way to sign off. Something to say, you know, there's what I really like from a sports radio host nearby that I can't really, I don't want to do just because it would feel like a cop out just stealing his, but there's a guy named Tony Bruno where his sign off would always, you know, his voiceover guy would say, Tony's going to patrol the streets of Los Angeles looking for crime. Not do anything about it. Just look for it. And I'd love to have something akin to that without it being too direct of a ripoff, but that's that's all a work in progress. Honestly, I don't know what you'd really be saying that you'd be doing other than sleeping. Or is that more the cat's job? I don't know. Speaking of works in progress, there are a lot of teams that are going to be works in progress this week. We're not going to waste your time anymore. Go watch some footy, and we'll see you around. Bye-bye.